Welcome to Crushing It, a podcast with notes of knowledge, hints of hilarity, fun forward, and super cheesy, which always pairs well with wine. That's good. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of class goes a long way. That's all I'm saying. Really pleasurable mouthfeel. On a scale of like prison hooch to a Willamette Valley sunrise, I would rate this. A solid seven. Girl knows what she wants. <laughs> they need to put wine in pounders. I'd like to get my hands on that Methuselah. What is that? <laughs> oh shit about this wine. <laughs> okay. Oh my. <laughs> oh, and all that was recorded, so beat it. <laughs> Beat it, Nick. Beat it, squirrel. Serious business. <laughs> this is serious. It's a podcast about wine. That's right, about wine. Oh, welcome to Crushing It. Oh, uh, yes. Welcome to this freaking podcast about wine and people that love wine. That's right. Those two things are covered in this podcast. It's true. I hey, love wine. I'm... You love wine. I do love wine. Are you drinking wine? You're not, are you? No, I'm drinking a beer, actually. Oh, that sounds good, too. Yeah. Uh, Oregon Sour. also has excellent beer, so. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, episode three. Yes. <laughs> We're making it. <laughs> We're really making it. Uh, this has been probably our best idea in the worst timing ever. <laughs> that is true. I know. I feel terrible. We put out our two episodes and then because nothing can ever um, be easy right now. <laughs> nope. This, the state of Oregon went on another freeze. So it kind of froze us. I think um, we didn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what do you do? Like Oregon was being told to shut down. What were we supposed to do? <laughs> what were we supposed to do? That's right. But when we thought it through, we actually remembered that the wineries need people. So even though you shouldn't be or you couldn't have then been traveling here, um, the wineries were being supported by people buying wine and ordering wine and dropping by to buy wine. And so then... We were like, duh, we have these tastings recorded. Let's get these episodes out. Yes. And as we're doing that, we're researching, we're trying to find any connection that we have <laughs> and yeah. uh, trying to get more episodes out there because we're coming across some really good stories and people should get to hear them. Yeah, it's so fun. And we go to white rose this week and get to sit down with Tressider burns the winemaker okay so all roads lead back to on me right now and we met Tressider burns he was the winemaker at limelson when we met him through our old boss at on yeah i mean those are kind of the uh those are the branches that we're pulling right now. Anyone that we've met through Anami. So if we've ever met you, <laughs> <laughs> look out. Probably because of Anami, and we are 
definitely trying to contact you. So yeah, check your, check your Instagram. Jeez. Check your Instagram. Ask <laughs> Freshman Podcast. That's where you can check us out. He was so good to us, but he spent three hours talking to us. <laughs> it was it was so dark. So, okay, I was gonna say it was so good, but yes, it was dark and cold because we were in this fabulous barrel hall. It was so cool, but it was also, so cool. um, it was like one of the coldest, windiest evenings uh, that yeah, we've had just, in a very long time. <laughs> I, I was going to say it was so dark when we came out of there because, you know, uh, Oregon winter, it gets dark at like 430. <laughs> yeah, sure does. So by the time we talked to Tressider for three hours, we were like, oh my goodness. So we, um, yeah, we wanted to get this out for you. It's such a great story. He had big shoes to fill and um, his kind of passion for the process and his love of the product is so evident in talking with him. Yeah, it was very interesting. And honestly, three hours flew by for sure because he is so knowledgeable and definitely, I mean, you can feel the passion coming from him. He is exactly where he is supposed to be. He's doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. It's very cool to see somebody living their best life with their best career. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You like that? I do. Trustor's going to like it too, I bet. I bet he will. Also, um, just a side note, um, we refer to him as a coastie uh if you (laughs) if you are not from oregon there are actually different definitions for coastie so coastie is like a term of an effect of affection if uh for people that are in the coast guard did you know that oh i didn't know that i'm strictly marines so i didn't know that uh, (laughs) the uh, coast guard (laughs) and it's also something that people in the midwest call people from the coasts. So if you are from Oregon and you go up, go up to Wisconsin and go to college, they will call you a coastie. Really? I never knew that. Huh? I didn't either until I was going to give people the official definition of coastie. And it turns out, uh, we are all coasties. <laughs> that's right. That's uh, an so, interesting turn. <laughs> yeah. So when you hear that portion, if you're from somewhere else and you're confused, that is just a, a term that People in Oregon call people who are from the Oregon coast, which is our beach. We just call it the coast because it's just there to look at. <laughs> uh, definitely. Don't go Do swimming. not try to swim. <laughs> Don't go lay on the beach. So one theme that seemed to keep coming up, it was a roller coaster of emotions. Yeah. Buckle up, everybody. Uh, just kind of going through this this crazy year that we've had, of course, but one thing that kept coming up was um, some pretty serious fires that were in Oregon. And uh, Carly loves to school people on stuff. Yes, I do. So Sarah, start us off with, do you remember Labor Day weekend 2020? Uh, it seems like a long time ago. It was. Was that Detroit? No, that was uh, Newburgh. Oh, yes. We were on a boat. <laughs> we were on so a boat. 
You were picturing correctly. Okay, so we were on a boat and we were enjoying our Labor Day weekend as we always try to do in the highest fashion of sorts, enjoying something beautiful outside. So this year, you know, we enjoyed a nice little water on the boat. It was a very nice day, but then it was like a freaking story. So the winds were starting to pick up. We could start to smell the smoke in the air. And of course, then Jeremy says, did you hear? We're supposed to have record-breaking winds coming through today. And I had not heard because I don't have TV. So he was literally breaking news for me. And I got a little concerned. But I thought, we're used to the wind. We have wind all the time. How bad can it be? Well, that's when the winds picked up everything that was on fire (laughs) in California. And it came all the way through Oregon. It was insane. The skies were orange. It was like we were living on Mars. It was the freakiest thing I've seen in a long time. So, you know, although the Pacific Northwest is no stranger to wildfires, even under Smokey the Bear's watch, uh, the 2020 Oregon wildfire season has been one of the most destructive on record in the state of Oregon. She's reading now, folks. Yeah, I'm definitely (laughs) reading this. I want to make sure that I got these numbers correct. This was nuts. The fires killed at least 11 people burned more than 1 million acres of land and destroyed thousands of homes just in Oregon. Horrible. So, you know, as a, well, largely agricultural area that Oregon is, you know, obviously farmers had a really hard time with this, but wine country massively is successful due to the climate that we live in. I mean, that's why people come here. They grow Pinot Noir. Our soil is great for it. Our weather is great for it. The ultimate climate is really nice. But major changes in the weather can certainly challenge the winemaker or even devastate our smaller production of uh, or smaller production wines. And so, I mean, we're seeing that right now with the fires and with COVID and now with this freeze in Oregon that we just had. Our Our small wineries really need our help, along with everybody. I mean, our small local restaurants, shops, etc. I mean, just people in general, obviously, are having a hard time right now. Looking at these winemakers, you know, they've dealt successfully with wildfires and smoke damage numerous times. But this is one of the first times that the state's winemakers have dealt with active fires in winemaking regions besides the Columbia Gorge fires of 2017. So we haven't really had to deal with fires being so close, but there were little tiny fires starting even, you know, minutes away from McMinnville, which is where I'm at. And so really, really devastating. Sarah, do you remember the Columbia Gorge fire? 2017? I do, yeah. Uh, Was that the young boy that started that fire? A couple boys, I believe, with fireworks, right? With fireworks, that's right. So 
I heard in California, one of their major fires also started because of a firework gone wrong. Mm. It was Mm -hmm. a baby gender reveal firework that was supposed to, you know, who knows what color it was supposed to be, but of course it went crazy and started one of the huge fires down there. So, I mean, lesson learned folks, like be safe, obviously. And, uh, I mean, Smokey the Bear is definitely crying in his cave <laughs> at this time. Um, I want to say, I want to say lesson learned, but people just keep doing but stupid people, shit. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Fireworks in the summer. You're already tempting fate. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I think we're... Um... I mean, here in the Valley, we're pretty lucky. Like you, you referenced that we sometimes get the smoke coming over from other fires, that kind of thing from the gorger from Eastern Oregon or central Oregon, but for it to actually kind of spread through this area is pretty unheard of. This was definitely not our style. (laughs) uh, (laughs) No, you know, you know me. I'm always trying to find the happiness in something. So let me add a little sunshine to your day, Sarah. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So I was looking at Oregon Wine Board, and uh, they were talking about this group of research scientists in Washington, Oregon, and California. And they've been collaborating uh, for the past several months now to kind of outline this three-state smoke impact research project that is going to be helping hopefully grape growers and winemakers better anticipate and manage conditions like what we're experiencing right now. And so hopefully in the future, we will have better ideas of what we can do with these grapes because as of right now, you know, when we talk to Tress and when I've talked to other winemakers or vineyard owners, They've really gone back and forth with this idea of, can we even make wine? I don't know if we can. I guess we'll try to make wine, you know, something out of these Pinot Noir grapes. It's truly going to be an interesting vintage to watch out for. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but it's going to be one of those years where it's history in a bottle. Yeah, I think (laughs) history in a bottle. I, I just, this this year was something and then for our air quality to be so bad that you know schools were canceled and you weren't supposed to leave your house unless you had to it was just one more level of 2020 i mean (laughs) when you're already quarantined and then having to wear masks for safety which is great but then i wanted to double up on my masks just to go get the mail so that's where we were at. That was the air quality. So let's go up on a beautiful hill where there's lots of fresh air. Yes. Do you know beautiful such a magical views. place? Oh, wine country in Oregon. Beautiful views. Yes. And although you cannot, you should not be traveling right now. Sometime in the future, you'll be able to. And so we want to keep bringing you these these episodes so you can hear about new places. But you can always buy wine from them. Yes. So <laughs> they would like that too. <laughs> um, a lot of wineries have really upped their game or even started using Instagram 
Um, they have their own websites uh, with shopping carts now. You can call, you can email. Um, I mean, right now there's even very limited in person. I don't know. Like, I don't know how long that will last. I mean, it's all outside tasting. So I guess dress like hella warm, but yeah, bust out the puffy and put on a hat. But for now you're snuggled up at home. You're warm, you're cozy, and you probably need a glass of wine. Yes. And uh, come with us to White Rose Estate. Oh, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. Come with me and you'll see. All right, we made it. Yes. Welcome to the cellar. Welcome to the cellar. Murder. Murder. (laughs) Sarah's favorite. This does look like, no, it's nicer than that. No. I don't think I could picture myself getting murdered down here. This is more of a celebratory space. Yes, of course. No, no, no. It's it's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) So here we are with Tresseter Burns, the winemaker at White Rose. Welcome. Thank you uh, for joining me here in this little cellar. Not a murder cellar. Not a murder yeah. cellar. Celebratory cellar. Yes. It's gorgeous. To my Thank knowledge, for... zero murders have occurred in the <laughs> cellar. So That's pretty good. I'll take those steps. Anyway, thank you for having us. We're excited to be here and um, hear about White Rose and your wines. Yeah. Well, this is a special little place. I mean, we're sitting here um, 900 feet at the top of the Dundee Hills in one of the really the most picturesque little vineyards here in, uh, in Oregon. You know, it's a 40-year-old site. Uh, this little winery is only about 15 years old, but uh, and known for a very particular way of making Pinot Noir, you know, which is what attracted me uh, to this project in the first place. So it's whole cluster and it's Pinot Noir. Those are the two things we do. Because you do all Pinot Noir. We do, although that's about to change. So oh, actually just news. Yeah. <laughs> so right behind you actually is the first Chardonnay that we've ever made. So it's oh. uh Fiercing Vineyard Grapes on a couple of these barrel racks here. And um, I love Chardonnay. I think that um, you know the Chardonnay in Oregon is just as world class as the Pinot Noir is. So um, I was very fortunate in, in the last four years before I came here to work with Robert Britton, who's been making Chardonnay for many decades and is incredible. Uh, proponent of that grape Yum. and has done very good things for Chardonnay in the Willamette Valley. Uh, and I missed it last year, right? That was my first vintage not making Chardonnay in a very long time. And so it was great to sort of take that step and, and try something new, you know? And so there's only five little barrels there. It's not that much Chardonnay, but it's a, it's a step into something new for White Rose. Yeah, so, that, that awesome. is um, very exciting. Yeah. Oh, I love Chardonnay. Did you have to yes. campaign because it was your love? Did you have to kind of you know, it's been one of the things, so Greg Sanders, the owner, has been very passionate about Pinot Noir for a very long time. So, uh, but I think he's also realized that, you know, he's, he bought the property here in 2000, so he's been doing this for quite a while. Also realized that it is a different landscape now and that people are, you know, sort of exploring things outside of Pinot Noir. And I think in any year, 2020 ultimately ended up being the year that you should try something other than Pinot Noir because... We probably won't have any 2020 Pinot Noir in the Willamette Valley for the most part with uh, the forest fires and how that impacted a lot of the fruit. So uh, it was worth taking a shot at something new. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that was sad. It's yeah. incredibly sad. Yeah. You know, I think that um, it's one of those things where with the rains that we had in June, they really brought the crop down. So we had these beautiful tiny clusters mm-hmm. and there was this really con- this nice concentration and we spent, you know, it was a beautiful summer. 
And so there's a lot of optimism, uh, you know, coming into harvest, thinking like, okay, this is nice, you know, we've been through a lot in 2020, but at least we had this beautiful fruit out there. And then, Spoke you know, too soon. Yeah, and then the, uh, the skies turned to hellscape red and everything went south on us. So, but that's 2020, yeah. right? So we probably shouldn't have been so optimistic before. <laughs> Unfortunately true. <laughs> <laughs> well, today is a beautiful winter day. Blue skies, you can see the snowy mountain in the distance. Yeah. It's so pretty up here. The, um, the vines are, of course, sleeping. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, and it's, sweet. Uh, it's very sweet. I think the thing that gives me hope is that you know, there's another another vintage just around the corner, right? So those vines aren't impacted by the smoke. You know, the the fruit was, but the vines are totally fine. Uh, they had a relatively easy growing season because they weren't carrying that much fruit. So, and because mm. it was a nice summer, we should have a pretty fruitful year next year. So fingers crossed, we have a nice vintage waiting for us in 2021. So. As tough as farming is and as terrifying as farming is, there's always a reset, right? There's yeah. always a shot at something else. And so, you know, I think we're all kind of licking our wounds right now, but, you know, excited about the next year. So that's it's good to be optimistic, I guess. Yes, we have yeah. to be. You have to find yeah. <laughs> You have to find it. Yes. Thank you for that. Oh, yes. I know. Well, yeah, we need a little bit of that. So. After the grim picture. <laughs> Well, we tried some new things, you know, so we yeah. have only ever made Pinot Noir here, right? So we do have Chardonnay in barrel, we have white Pinot in barrel, we have light rosé, you know, there's sort of that um, idea of minimizing skin contact uh, with grapes that have been smoke impacted to re uh, reduce the amount of extraction of those compounds. So we're trying new things, right? This has yeah. been a year of pivoting, trying new things in the tasting room, trying new things in the winery. So we'll see. It's going to be very different. If you see a white rose wine, a 2020 in bottle, it's going to be very different than anything we've done before. So that's... That's kind of cool too. Forced yeah. creativity. Exactly. I yeah. like it. <laughs> yeah. Different isn't bad. Well, you guys have been in the wine industry a long time, and and you know, I mean, you had to sort of you had to react and quickly, you know, especially when everything shut down in March. You know, you had to start to learn how to sell wine in very different ways, right? Yes. Otherwise, it really impacted your business. And it's kind of interesting to think about sort of what wineries did, and you know, there are wineries that are having very good years, and there's other wineries that didn't really evolve or pivot in the right ways, and it seems like they're really hurting. So. That was another lesson from this year, right? Like be fleet of foot and, and try something right. new. Yep. So. Being flexible, yeah. willing to try. Adapting. I know. <laughs> but I think in the end, it sort of drove us to a lot of like good things. Like it made us better. So, you know, we had for a long time talked about trying the appointment only thing, you know, and we sort of, you know, is that the right thing to do? We get a lot of people on the weekends, you know, a good Saturday here, 200 to 250 people through that little tasting room. Uh, but that usually was a lot of people crushed up against the bar and you're really just trying to keep glasses full. And what we learned with appointment only is that we see a lot less people, but we spend a lot more time with them. They get a much better experience and in the end they buy a lot more wine. So it's made us better in a lot of ways. I feel like better and prouder about this uh, experience that we give people when they visit. And I think they feel better about the experience they're getting. So yeah. that's been a good thing. So yeah, I think everybody wins, customer yeah. included. I totally it's, agree. It's so nice to I have totally that agree. time with someone that works at the winery and have that one-on-one -on -one conversation yeah. and you don't feel like it's just crazy and trying yeah, to get up to the number, bar, please right? fill yeah. my glass. Yeah. So, I'm on number four. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you learn a lot more that way too. You know, we spend a lot of time training our staff. We want to have a really good conversation around wine. And so now they can really sit down with their groups and do that. So it's a, you know, again, yeah. it makes you feel better about the experience you're giving. Yeah. We, uh, we tried some other things too. You know, we did a lot of uh, virtual tastings. So 
we would do little three pack specials so that everyone could have the same three bottles of wine in front of them. And uh, that was great. We sold a lot of wine doing that. And um, I hosted those mostly for my kitchen table uh, with two of my staff. And we just had these, it took us almost two hours a lot of times just to talk about three wines three because wines. there were so many questions coming at us. That's great. Yeah, it was super cool. And so it helped us you know, make up for all that time. We were closed for 10 weeks originally in the first part yeah. of the quarantine. And what we also learned was that it was a lot of our out-of-state uh, club members that were joining in on these calls and sort of realizing that, you know, for our out-of-state wine club members, they just get packages in the mail, right? They're not here for the events and sort right. of the more stuff and realizing that this was a tool to like connect with them. And so now with our wine club releases, we do a Zoom launch, you know, so we've always had the sort of come here to the winery on the day of the uh, club release, we'll let you taste the wines. But now we do it with the out-of-state club members on Zoom and they can learn about the wines through Zoom. And so I think that will sort of help engage people so, and making us better for our, you know, our customers out of state. It so. is that missing piece when, when tourists want it, you know, they love the wines, they love the experience, but they're not always going to be there to take advantage of the events and yeah. and hear from the winemaker and that Absolutely. kind of thing. And so that's yeah. great. And so they get to ask all these questions. We've had some of these calls. We spent half an hour just talking about corks and screw caps and closures, you know, and other times about... It's a hot topic. I know. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. People love to talk about it. and Or even they know it's something that's sort of... Um, a hot button issue, but they don't know why, and so they want to, you know, mm -hmm. so we help them sort of understand the issue. Uh, we'll have conversations about vineyard trellising and little things like that, or even just the vineyards themselves. And so it's been great. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like my brother, who lives in California, mm -hmm. he told me that you guys were doing oh, cool. the tastings, yeah. and he wanted, and he just, he's like, I, I have to get this. Who is this? You know, tell me more. How are you hearing about this in California? And I live down the road and I didn't know this. So, yeah, I yeah. mean, it's getting out to people, which is amazing. I think the big thing is, um, is having the wine that everybody has the same wine in front of them. So it is a tasting and not just a lecture online. Yes. I think that's been a big part of that. I worked with a, a wine shop in Montana and what they did was they five pack specials and it would be five different wineries and you would pick it up on Monday. And then each night was one of the bottles with the winemaker on this. So it was like a five-night series, cool. and you kind of hopped all around the country, or even out of out of uh, out of the U.S. for some of those calls. And so, you do that. I think that's the, yeah. the, the the other big lesson there is is have wine in front of you, you know, uh, and so that it is a shared experience versus just like you know log on and watch me talk about wine in a little tiny screen for an yes. hour and a half. This is really more about like let's have a conversation, throw questions at. I'm not going to just sit here and read through a PowerPoint. I just want to talk about these wines and answer questions. Right. So that worked out really well. So lesson is add wine to any meeting. That helps. We that try helps. and here we are. <laughs> it's how they have to get through listening to us. <laughs> Drink but wine while you listen like, and it's glass. great. So, no, that's good. It works. I mean, it's I, there's so many people that love to talk about this stuff, right? And there's so many different opinions, right? You're mm -hmm. going to get a bunch of different answers on the same questions, which is kind of fun. True. So, that is that true. Is, as that happens more and more, it'll be fun for you guys to see that, like, oh, that's interesting. That's in direct opposition to what we heard <laughs> last week, you know? Wait a second. <laughs> it's yeah. good to hear, though. I like that. It is good. And that's part of the thing, too, is it's like, this is about wine, but as much as it's about wine, it's about people. Oh, awesome. yeah. yeah. Where people come from and what brought them here is yeah. super interesting. It's cool, right? I mean, we all live in McMinnville, right? And you think about that, that's a little oasis in, you know, sort of rural Oregon, right? I mean, I grew up in Oregon and in very small towns. You know, I grew up on the coast and like Gold Beach and Newport. Oh, you're coasty. Oh, coasty. coasty. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Look, we have it. <laughs> 
three native Oregonians. Yeah. We've done it. <laughs> I know it's a little rare. I these tried days, it last right? time. Yeah. She did throw it out last time and it got shut down pretty quick because we didn't realize that <laughs> the person we were interviewing was actually from Alaska. So. That's funny. Oh, yeah. I was not native born though. I was born in Seattle, so we moved here when I was very young. Because I think especially in this industry, even it's you know, yeah. so many people move to this area for yeah. this opportunity that it's it's hard to find. And yeah. even rarer to find a coastie. So we've got uh, Ken Palo mm -hmm. over at Walter Scott's from Tillamook and uh, Kate Ayers at uh, Penarash. She's from like like Gearheart or something. Oh, uh, yeah. So there's right. a few coasties out wow. there. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta give a shout out to the coasties. I didn't know that coastie was such a like pejorative sort of like term about oh, people from I the coast until I came back. Affection. Of course, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> it is a certain picture that you get. How many tie-dye shirts do you own? I, I actually do not own any <laughs> tie-dye shirts. It is oh, right. But there, oh, are, right. there are a few weirdos on the coast. It's a, very, it's a weird place. I think all that time around the ocean sort of changes you in a lot the of strange ways. The sea air ways. really yeah. gets to the brain. I yeah. plan on going back someday. I love visiting. You know, I'd love to be mm -hmm. out there. There's not a whole lot going on on the coast. That might also be part of the problem, why people are so weird. It's, it's a very quiet <laughs> way of life Earth, out there. <laughs> Do you want me to cut that people are weird? No, that's fine. <laughs> okay. That's fine. Hey, Keep it in. Now. I meant it. I think that I'm not, you know, I'm including myself in that group. That's true. So. He's speaking of I one of them. I think, I mean, I don't mean it pejoratively. I think that it's just a, almost like a caricature. Oh, absolutely. Of, yeah. Um, and, yes. you know, Oregon is so Diverse. varied yeah. in its <laughs> regions. And I think the people... Yeah. Reflect that also. Like a person well, from Bend, you get a certain picture. Yeah. And I think part of it was my experience too, because I, after growing up on the coast and, and having really just seen the Northwest my whole life, when I graduated high school, it was like time to just get out and do something new. And so I left Oregon and went to Virginia for undergrad and, you know, I did college on the East Coast and then, and really felt like a small town kid, sort of fish <laughs> out of water, went through that yeah. whole experience, you know, because I said like pop for soda and everyone thought that was really funny, you know, that oh, sort man. of like small town kids. They stuff, really like so. to point that stuff yeah, out. Oh, don't yeah. They? Oh, yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. And then from there, I ended up moving to New York City and sort of, you know, going from, you know, a tiny 1500 person town on the Oregon coast to, you know, the sort of megapolis of New York, you know, and loving yeah. that experience and living there for five years and then spending another six years in the Bay Area and living in San Francisco. So by the time I came back to Oregon, I'd been gone for 15 years and I was a very different person than when I'd left, you know. And so it was funny to come back and then have the locals call me a coastie and think like, oh, it seems like <laughs> such a long ago version of myself, you know. So, and it was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but so it was. When did you come back to Oregon? So I came back in 2008, okay, and okay. Uh, and it was kind of twofold. One was it was time to make a job change. I was kind of ready. I'd been working in tech for 10 years, so I'd been sitting behind a desk and doing that whole thing, and I was oh, kind wow. of ready. And, and it was change. great. I had some great experience. Yeah, you know, I uh, had the opportunity to work at Yahoo for five years uh, and work on some projects that you know millions of people used, which was super cool. But it was very ethereal. It just kind of comes and goes, and there, there was a permanence and sort of a tangibility around wine that really appealed to me. So. Uh, I had this idea that I would start to study wine at Oregon State, and at the same time, my parents were both sick, and so it was an opportunity to kind of come home and spend some time with my family. So I uh, moved back and started taking classes and taking care of my parents, and three years later, I had a master's degree in enology. So wow. spent a couple of years doing uh, research on Pinot Noir and really focusing on uh, preserving color in Pinot uh, and looking at malolactic fermentation, looking at elevage practices, and sort of understanding the chemical reactions and some of the 
uh, bacterial things that were happening in barrels and what we could do to sort of mitigate color loss. Because this was back in 2008 when Oregon Pinots were super light and delicate mm -hmm. and pale mm -hmm. and see-through. And we thought that, you know, people weren't buying them because they might have sort of associated that with like being lesser quality or something, right? Oh. But, you know, I was really... too busy drinking Coors Light at the yeah, time. Yeah, it was a different time, was right? Really and, sure. You yeah, know, I think people understand what Pinot college. Noir is, right? You know, now, I mean, people understand that Pinot Noir, even if it's light, is, is a really high-quality grape, you know, and people get Oregon Pinot now. And honestly, since I published my research, it's been nothing but hot vintages, and you have a lot more color in those hot vintages, so nobody yeah. worries about color loss in Pinot <laughs> anymore, but because we did some great research around it. Because yeah. your research has <laughs> shown the world. <laughs> it was for color. Your research was all based around how to yeah yeah exactly okay. yeah yeah wow. because that was that was something That's that people cool. thought a lot more about and so but you know now we have these just bruising vintages for the most part and so you, know, you can see it in the wines right the wines have gotten pretty pretty big and we've little... talked about my love of, of 11. yeah it's yeah. true <laughs> i haven't had a year like that I know. No. That's the I last. thought it was going to be this year, maybe. <laughs> I know. Joke's on me. Joke's on you. Smoky Pinot Noir. I know. Away. It's so sad. But yeah, I mean, 11's, 11's the last true cold vintage we've had, right? And when I open a 10 or 11, there's something really sad. I mean, because the wines are so great in such a different way than what we kind of like about some of the more recent Oregon wines. And so there's kind of a sadness in that because you wonder, will we ever see this again? Right? That's kind of scary. That yeah. is wild. And it's scary to open one of those for that reason. Yeah. So on my little wine fridge in Carly's garage. Yes. Is full of 11s. Was full of 11s. Has full of 11s. <laughs> <laughs> but I still have that 11 Magnum for us to drink. And right. I'm saving it just for me and you. We had a 2010 Pinot Noir for uh, Thanksgiving and... I mean, I know that my family appreciates it because I think it, they just humor me because yeah. I say, this is delicious. <laughs> and then they say, yes, it is. And so I think they really do humor me. But man, yeah. you're right. Like, we don't get those anymore. Yeah, yeah. it's different. You know, I mean, not to it say that different. we didn't make great wines in, you know, 16 and 17 and 18 sure. and all these years, but they're different. And I think that... You know, that 11 Magnum is going to, you can wait 20 years on that thing. It's going to be just like Sarah, singing. I don't have time for that. Um, Let's just work. drink it. We'll <laughs> <laughs> be lucky if we're friends after this year. But those 11s, like, they really, they really reward patience. I remember us trying to sell the 11s. I was at Lemelson in 2011, and, you know, a couple of years later, us trying to, like, you know, really sell. And they were still just so tight and nervous and, mm -hmm. you know, energetic and yeah. tense. And people were kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, well, we heard the 12s are pretty good, you know, but. <laughs> But now when you see an 11 or 12 next to each other, you go to for the 11, oh, yeah. right? The Oregonians do, you yep. know, you see, because they're, you know that's a special yeah. vintage. I was, my first year, I was pouring sixes and sevens. It was the same thing. Sevens, you couldn't, like, give them away. Yeah. Now you're like, oh. Now I have one more seven left in my wine fridge. I know. My fridge? Well, no, my fridge. <laughs> I might have one. I know the smart people, though, that, you know, the people that understand that this, these cycles happen over and over were, you know, buying up lots of great 07 stuff that was being mm -hmm. sold at fire sales, right? right? You know, and now they just get to sit and drink lots of really good wine. Oh, so. yeah. I definitely thought there would be another one. I mean, 7-Eleven, yeah. and then I did not think it was going to be a decade. Yeah. <laughs> but I also Here say it's are. hard because... As Oregonians, we live for summer, and summer's perfect. And yep. you know, you get those few months of just like everybody's outside, you're doing everything. So, yeah. how do you wish for a cool summer? Yeah, 
Because Maybe you love those wines. That's why I'm drawn to the 12s. Bright, warm, happy. Mm. Woo girl. That was a beautiful summer. It really yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, your first wine job was? Was with Lemelson. So, was with Lemelson. Yeah, so out of grad school. Um, I worked under, studied under James Osborne uh, at Oregon State, and he Go runs. Yeah. Can you just say that? Go yeah. Beeves? Great right. program. I love the fermentation science program at Oregon State. Um, just a really cool education. It's a very small program. It's in the food science department, so it's so small, it's not even its own sort of know. you know uh, department. But uh, it also meant we get to take like food chemistry classes and you know learn about the chemistry of roasting coffee and making sugar glasses or baking bread. So it was this really cool kind of like overall education. It's an around, interesting like, building too. Oh yeah. I had one class um, in there and. I just wondered what is actually happening on the other floors of this building. They're baking bread and drinking coffee. They do. I mean, there's they, a they, they were doing it right. You. That's what <laughs> they were doing. Uh, what are you studying? I was, I was in there taking some class about how I should become a vegetarian, and these mm. jokers were on the second floor drinking wine. So it's crazy. They have now a state-of-the-art like automated brewery system there Amazing. that came in from Germany just a couple years ago. Uh, the brewing program there is fantastic. They have a still now as well. They didn't have that when I was there. Wow. But so they're doing a more rounded, like you can do beer, wine, and spirits all just right there. Uh, yeah, Oregon State a, knows how to drink. It's okay. crazy, yeah. There's a lab <laughs> with uh, you know, a commercial bakery in it because they do a lot of research around the new uh, varieties of wheat that they're developing and whether it has wow. the right gluten structure and all that stuff for commercial mm -hmm. uses. And so they bake a lot of bread there. And so, and then I think that was a, kind of the first tip off that you know, there's something special about wine, right? And it's really, it's beyond wine. It's like the culture of food and sort of what that represents, right? And so you do spend a lot of time like, learning about cooking. You know, we spend a lot of time cooking and drinking wine and thinking about other cultures and recipes and stuff. And we live in our little tiny town in McMinnville. We live for the summer, but you know, eight months of the year, we're stuck inside hibernating. And so we do a lot of- <laughs> Drinking yeah, and eating. Yeah, exactly. But that's, there's a, I think there's a great culture around that, you know, and I think it makes a lot of people in McMinnville think about the world outside of our tiny little town, right? So you know, we're in a county that just went for Trump, you know, a few weeks ago. But it's this kind of little oasis of, uh, of people that understand that there's a sort of a greater world, you know, beyond the city limits and sort of celebrate that, right? And then yeah. on top of that now that, um, you know, Oregon Wine is bringing people from all around the world around harvest, right? So you see Italians and French interns. I've had South African, uh, New Zealand, Australian interns in the past. And so there's this cool, like, international component now in this little town in, in the fall, right? How and cool people know us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Globally, people know yeah. our area. How funny is that? That's a cool perspective, though. A good way to put it. Yeah. I, guess. I think so. I think it just makes it a more interesting place in a lot of ways, right? So yeah. sort of a special place. Yeah. Absolutely. Tresseter is a tech guy that has a personality and can talk to people. <laughs> found a coasty we found to him. a tech guy. We found him, people. We found the one. The unicorn of the world. <laughs> I might know one other one. <laughs> There's lots of, well, it's fascinating, right? Yeah, we have professional, former professional dancers in wine, mm -hmm. and, and tech is kind of a a fairly well-trod road. There's a fair number of people with tech backgrounds. Um, Anthony King, who I worked with at Lemelson, was a textbook writer before he got into wine. Oh, how funny so, is that? Yeah. Hmm. It's just Almost fascinating. like a colleague. Like, I think so, yeah, yeah, or just an attraction again to that. I think it's that that idea of making something, right? I mean, because it's so fun to share wine with, you know, the people that you love or, you know, yeah. just even the people that come into the tasting room. 
And then I think it's uh, there's a permanence there too. I think that's been so important for me thinking about sort of what I was doing in tech and just how a lot of that's just sort of washed away, you know, as time goes on. But you, know, you can have a bottle of wine that we've made 20 years from now. And I always, when I have old wines, I think about the people that made them and you know what was going on in that harvest and that kind of thing, right? It's like yeah. you lock it up and somebody can open that decades later and sort of experience that. And there's a pretty I cool legacy love. there. Oh, yeah, the story. history, the yeah. history in a bottle that is delicious. Yeah. I love that. I still have my Yahoo email address. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. I, I do don't too. know what you I created. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, are you allowed to tell us what you created? <laughs> Is it top secret? <laughs> Poor Yahoo. They've had a pretty, they've had a hard, uh, uh, hard yeah. few years. But, uh, Dang Google machine. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have a Google. But it was a good time. I had a l- lovely experience there. I worked with some wonderful people. So, you know, it was great. But it was, you know, after a while, it was like it was time to, time to leave the desk. Of course, ironically, I think the more as you raise up through wine and you become a winemaker, you eventually are at a desk again. You spend a lot more time dealing mm. with spreadsheets and, and that sort of thing to track your wines. And so you're back in front of a computer, even though you try to leave Full it. Circle. So it's a be careful what you wish for thing sometimes. That's you true. Know, it's yeah. like, I do a lot of PowerPoint as well for different, you know, sales <laughs> presentations and things oh, like yeah. that. Thought I'd left that behind, you know. Yeah. So. PowerPoints are fun. What a horrid, horrid program. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fix it. Um, yeah. But you did mention that you've been getting to spend a lot of time in the tasting room. Yeah, that's been a big part of this. We're such a tiny, tiny little spot. I mean, there's five of us full time here total. So I manage the tasting room and managing the winemaking here uh, at a winery that sells a fair bit of wine and sees a lot of people come through our, our the yeah. doors, you know. Um, so that's been a great education is really learning some of the business side. We try to, one thing I like here at White Rose is that we tend to sort of focus more on the emotional response. And so we don't we don't lead with a lot of technical jargon. We don't have tasting notes. We're not using, we have that ability. So if somebody says, oh, what's the pH of this wine? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we can give that to you. But like, just how do you feel drinking this wine? Are you enjoying this wine? You know, and that, I think that sort of disarms people a little bit. They kind of feel a little more comfortable and, you know, and, they're, and then they're willing to have a conversation. You know? Yeah, and it's so, more about the experience then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, well, what, that's what we say, like the first thing you need to know is, do you like it? Yeah. And then yeah. we go from there. Like, yeah, exactly. Why and then, not? Or what do you like about it? Yeah. How are you yeah. feeling? And ask me some questions. You know, what are you, what are you thinking? What, what does this wine make you curious about? You know, and then we can go from there as opposed to me just telling you, you need to uh, smell raspberries and cigar box and all this stuff. You know. Well, what is um, the production? So we typically are just about 2,000 to 2,500 cases a year. So it's a really small amount, but we sell it almost exclusively direct. So we just do a very little amount of uh, outside sales. And really to in Oregon, just to get people to, you know, hear about us, see us Mm -hmm. on, uh, you know, restaurant menus or in wine shops and come and visit us here on the hill. Yeah, they've got to come here to get it. Yeah. Yeah. So we won't find you in grocery stores. Very rarely. Okay. Very rarely. We have a few blends that we'll give it to our distributor here locally, just like a Willamette Valley and a Dundee Hills blend, just mm-hmm. to get some to, in some stores. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's really you're gonna find us here. You know. Well, this is not a bad place to find. It's it. beautiful, you know. And I think part of that part of that size too is just the. The way we're making wine here isn't very scalable. So that little basket press that you saw on the way in, mm-hmm. that's what we press all those tanks of wine with. So it's a oh, little really? tiny wooden, it looks like an apple cider press, uh-huh. right? Yep. Uh, so it takes us about eight hours to press one of those big tanks out there. It takes so long to wow. shovel 
fill up the press, you know, assemble the cages there, and then it's hand cranked, and then you have to empty the pumice out, refill it, and go. So it's a not very scalable. Labor. Yeah, this yeah. is a labor of love. Yeah, yeah, big time. So yeah, it's it's all about sort of traditional approaches, and so it's very sort of low technology, and and part of that whole cluster approach was sort of looking back to historical, you know, old old time winemaking. So what were they doing before they had mechanical distemmers? They were just pile it up in a little tank and and let it go. So. Wow. Uh, you know, and we're trying to do it in a gentle extraction. And so we sort of really focus on the silky sort of light texture. And so having that press do a very gentle press sort of kind of restricts a lot of that sort of bitter tannin and that kind of thing. So um, it's a, it's laborious. I mean, it's just so much manual labor, but it <laughs> yeah. does, I think it does make for a very different wine, right? So Fun. Wow. yeah, it's pretty cool. Amazing. Well, it is amazing. Should we try, Should we try some, some of wine? this yeah. labor of love? Yeah. So this is a 2018, uh, this is a Willamette Valley blend, although it's mostly from the Dundee Hills. It's what we call the Convivial Feast. Thank you. Uh, and this is actually only the third year that we've made it. Um, and it's a wine that was sort of created in, in response to what's going on with these hot images. You know, like we were saying, it's like organ wines are changing. And one thing that was happening in 14 and 15 and 16 especially was those bruising uh, summers in those hot vintages were creating these pretty like plush wines, you know, mm -hmm. so you know, we're talking about 7 and 10 and 11, those were these very pale, you know, nervous, light wines, uh, 14, 15, I 16. Like I like nervous yeah, as yeah. well, and then, yeah, good way. You know, 14, 15, 16 is plush, it's opulent, it's a little sweet from the higher alcohol, sort of big, right, you know, it has a lot of sort of volume and presence mm -hmm. on the palate, and so those are very different. Um, and, you know, I think stylistically we were always shooting more for that sort of delicate, precise thing. And so fighting some of these elements in the cellar that were like fruit forward, you know, I'm not going to say fruit bombs, but sort of really focusing just on the fruit and that plushness and the sweetness from the ripeness. Um, we decided to sort of actually pull some of those elements and make a blend that sort of really um, celebrated that, you know, these vintages are giving us this sort of plush, easy type of organ pinot, and that's where the convivial feast came from. So the idea here is that it's really not a wine for contemplation and you know sticking your nose in and listing 40 different aroma descriptors mm -hmm. and all that stuff. It's really just like tip the glass back, have a sip, and have some fun, you know? So. Oh, you knew oh, I like coming. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our new line, tip the glass back and have some fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, cheers, cheers to you guys. Yeah. Cheers. Clink. But still showing the whole cluster thing, so I think there's a kind of a spice and a, a, mm. like an herbal component here that's really about whole cluster, especially on the nose. It reminds me of a lot of whole cluster wines. So, um, but yeah, for us, that's kind of that's plush for us, you know. But there's still there's still energy, there's still a nice spine there, and that's the whole cluster tannin that you can really taste in the mid palate there. So you said it's Willamette Valley blend is what yeah. you're saying, right? So yeah. Dundee Hills and what else is represented? So um, we, in 18, we sourced a little bit from Shahala Mountains as well, uh, but this is, is mostly from this part of the Dundee Hills, so some of our neighbors are in here, uh, Vista Hills, a little bit of Anderson family, some of the, yeah, the property as well. Yeah, this is quite neighborhood. It's a cool place to be, right? I mean, it is so, a happening hill. Spot. Yeah, this is kind of the, yeah, it's the main drive of mm -hmm. Oregon wine country, so you know, I always tell people like, like this hillside especially is the birthplace of Oregon wine, so Irie Vineyard, their original vineyard, yeah. is down at the bottom of the hill. 
uh, Jason Lett is actually just right next to the property, right across from the parking lot there. Oh, yeah. uh, so it all started down at the bottom of this hill and then sort of made its way up the hill. Um, and that's why the, you know, the uh, White Rose Vineyard was planted in 1978. So it was a couple that was just kind of, for them, it was a little retirement project, essentially. And they were just producers. They sold the grapes to other folks. So you can find wow. old versions of White Rose Vineyard from like uh, Tori Moore and St. Innocent and some other labels. Sure. So. And they were in early on the game. Yeah, there. yeah, and just really as farmers, you mm -hmm. know. And, and meanwhile, a number of these other properties were, you know, uh, Plum and Filbert. Mm -hmm. uh, and oh, so yeah. slowly that just transitioned as people saw like, hey, it seems like they're having a pretty good go with that Pinot Noir thing. Let's, you know, and, it's, <laughs> and then, especially then, I think it was a little tough to make any money in Plums and Filberts. So it yeah. just kind of slowly you know, transformed. But that's why you see a lot of these little pockets of kind of really nice old vineyards on this hill. Um, she was from uh, Yorkshire, England originally. and. Uh, yeah, they were the White Rose and wore the roses, and so that's where the White Rose Vineyard name came from. Oh. So that was uh, just a little call back home for her. So it's a I name like that, that we continued on after we bought the property. Yeah. It's a great label, too. Yeah. I'm very much into the artwork of labels. And it's I, fascinating, I mean, yeah. I know a lot of people play the game of what label in the store, and they'll grab it because yeah. of the label and so i feel like there's a lot to be said in how you design your bottle totally and i you know i think i've you know it's just personal preference understated is better for me i think that yeah. communicates mm -hmm. a lot you know so i feel like you see a lot of you know bottles at pretty high price points i think that are subtle for the most part mm -hmm. and i really sort of like that so but yeah, that's a crazy game to play. And oh, yeah. Label design can drive you nuts thinking about all the different versions, especially. Oh, there's a lot to be said about that. That's the yeah. Yahoo backlash, I think. <laughs> <laughs> remember, the, remember the Yahoo page? It yeah. would take forever to load and it was covered. It was a and challenge. And then Google yeah. came along and they were actually, when they were testing it and people were sitting there looking at Google, they're like, what are, you, what are you doing? Why don't you search for something? They're like, we're waiting for it to load. Because <laughs> it was an Oh, that's funny. Thing. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was a, it was a crazy <laughs> challenge at Yahoo because what they, they had built such a wonderful sort of just multifaceted website. You know, there were so many things going on behind that front page. But it was almost so successful they could never get rid of any of those links because it would just it would kill an entire community of games or, you know, <laughs> answers or whatever it was, right? So everyone was had a stake in staying on that front page. And so it locked it into this just incredibly busy. I mean, that was a very busy front page, it you was. know, and it was yeah. driving an incredible amount of traffic. But, you know, it just they couldn't remove, a link was like removing an entire division right. or something. Outrage right? so they were, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they were sort of trapped and yeah, Google was able to come in and, and just focus Simplify. on search. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, can you, you know, we make these, all these decisions, right? And you're going to hear a lot of people talk about why their wines are so much better than everybody else's because of a particular process they've made. But I think what's kind of funny is that ultimately, you know, the grapes really speak for themselves, right? The place speaks and that, you know, Oregon wines are going to show in a very particular way and you can abuse it with oak and process and all that stuff. But mm -hmm. that ultimately, you know, Oregon Pinot is something very divine about grapes grown in this area. So we can sort of you know, it's, I guess it's maybe marketing or confuse people with all the sort of pageantry <laughs> right. around winemaking, sure. right? You know, yeah. but, uh, but ultimately, like, this is just a very good place to grow. The wine shines through, yeah. 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 We're pretty lucky. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 2020 or not. True. <laughs> well, at least we have this to get us through. We have this. I know. And I've been using a lot of this to get through. I feel like of all years, this is the years uh, that I've opened the most, like, I've been saving this I've bottle, kind of. It's been mm -hmm. a like, okay, that's a really nice bottle, and 
owe it to myself. It's like, let's crack that, you know? So yeah. it's been a good year for Treat trying. yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Because we need, we need a ray of sunshine every so often, right? right? We're so lucky. I don't think we, I don't think everyone realizes like, you know, growing up in small town Oregon, I think I had a sort of an expectation for like, you know, how much food or the types of food you get and the types of places you can go to get a drink. Yes. And, you know, we are so spoiled in what we have in McMinnville as far as we have great restaurants, you know, I mean, stuff that competes with the best that Portland has to offer. I think about Thistle, mm-hmm. you know, Oregonian restaurant of the year. Um, and then, you know, great bars, great uh, opportunities for cocktails, great beer options. So we're pretty spoiled for this, you know, little town. Absolutely. And growing up here, I mean, I was born in McMinnville. Oh, wow. And... I only escaped for a little while before I came back. And so it is so different. And how beautiful is our town now and how many great places. I mean, I hate to say that it's, you know, semi-bougie, but it is getting to that (laughs) level of, hey, Portland friends, we have just as nice places here. And it's right down the street from my house. So pretty lucky. Well, and this is still, you know, 2018 is very young for us. This wine still needs a little time. We usually try to bottle age for at least a year because they're, you know, that tannin from the whole cluster from the stems, you know, really does make for a pretty intense sort of structure to the wine Mm -hmm. and kind of a spine. So it does benefit from um, all the time. was making the wine in 18? So this is kind of the transitional vintage in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So Jesus got sick during harvest in 18 or kind of right at the start of harvest. So... He Sorry, was do you having, want to talk who Jesus is? yeah. So Jesus Guillen was the winemaker for the ten years before mm-hmm. I joined. Um, his father was the original vineyard manager here when uh, when Greg bought the property and started the project. His brother, his younger brother Dago, who you met upstairs, has been here seventeen years. Right? So the Guillen family oh, is awesome. a huge wow. part of the story here. Uh, enough so that in two thousand eight, when we bought uh, three and a half acres from our neighbors uh, Vista Hills here on the north side of the winery, we actually named the vineyard Guillen Vineyard the after the Guillen vineyard. Oh, so, that's uh, awesome. Which we'll finish our tasting with here today. So, oh, cool. Um, so that family has been such a wonderful part of this. Um, project. Jesus was a wonderful guy. I mean, really learned by doing, you know, sort of came from the practical uh, side of things. So started out in the vineyard, started to help out in the winery, started making wine. Uh, There's a lot of sort of rich history of doing experiments side by sides here to learn more about process. Uh, And that's really the big wine club that we have is called the Explorers Club, which every year we do experiments and, and present to our wine club members. You know, here's a versus B or A versus B versus C versus D, whatever that is. And wow. so, you know, over the years, it's been things like, you know, different cooperages or we did a whole series about cooperage. So four bottles in one shipment where it was the same wine. It was actually Durant, Pinot, aged in Russian oak, American oak, Hungarian and French oak. So why are we using French oak? You know, let's look at some other countries mm. and same Durant wine and just how different, you know, you can send it with just that one selection of here's a barrel. You know. How wild. So, yeah. So, you know, he has to do lots of experiments like that, shared them with the wine club. It was very open. Um, I got to know him through a number of the you know, wine events that we've done. He and I presented on the whole cluster together at uh, Oregon Pinot Camp one summer. Oh, and got, so we got a chance to really sort of commiserate around whole cluster and some of the challenges and sort of some of the weird things that happened with whole cluster and why. And I think that's one reason just in general, you know, you think about 10 years ago, if you wanted a whole cluster Oregon wine, you went to Christum or you went to White Rose, right? It was kind of two houses. Mm-hmm. Um, people are a lot more familiar and I think comfortable with whole cluster winemaking, but I think part of it is because we haven't had any 10s and 11s. You know, it's a lot easier to do a whole cluster in a warm vintage because your stems are more likely to be ripe and so you know you get that nice lignification you're not getting 
green bell pepper and all those unripe characters mm -hmm. and uh, and the fruits in better condition. So, you know, you're not worrying with so much, you know, sort of spoiled yeast or bad bacteria or too much um, uh, rot going into your tank. You have these beautiful clusters that just ferment really nice. So you see whole cluster all around the valley now, right? That's a little bit mm -hmm. more of a normal yeah. approach than it used to be. Yeah. Did we talk about this already? Why, why is whole cluster? <laughs> We're like, learning so much. I know, yeah. this is yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody take notes. Sorry, and if I get to, you know. A pencil. No, I love this. You know, I you know, live and breathe this stuff, so it's, it's easy sometimes <laughs> to talk about uh, too technically. But uh, no. yeah, so what is whole cluster no, even? Let's start yeah, there, Yeah, what is right? that, so. and why, why do you guys tend to go that direction? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, with whole cluster, it really is just cutting off that cluster at the vine and, and then bringing it in. And here we do it in little 20-pound canvas buckets. We bring each bucket in and then just slowly roll that into the tank. So but that tank is essentially just a pile of fully intact clusters, you know, grapes on the stems. And so, you know, you think about, you know, at a normal winery where you're using a mechanical destemmer, you kind of create a grape slurry. It's knocking the grape off the stem. It tends to break a fair number of the grapes and juice them. So you have this really nice kind of juicy sort of destemmed, uh, it's more of a slurry than a pile of grapes. And so even a challenge with whole cluster is that it's tough to get the fermentation going because there's no juice in the tank. You know, there's, there's it's essentially just a pile of grapes. Yeah. Uh, but that, uh, what, what um, appeals to us is that it really does change the wine, right? These wines are incredibly different. And so having the stems in there, they're bringing their own aromas. And so stem character can be things like spices. You'll get a lot of like white pepper, licorice, uh, clove, you know, these kind of cinnamon, these sort of wood-based things, you know, because mm -hmm. you are putting woody material into the, uh, into the fermenter. And then and stem has its own tannin as well, and so I think it changes just the structure of the wine. Which is spice cool. is a huge part of what people get in these wines. You know? mm -hmm. Not so much in the in the convivial feast that we're drinking right now, but I think we'll see some nice spice, and especially the Guillaume, we'll see some nice spice there. So. I love when you can taste wine and know how different that winery is compared yep. to other places. I mean, especially on a hill like this, yeah. where I can throw Sarah's shoe off of this hill and hit another winery, mm -hmm. no problem. I mean, they're, they're yeah. everywhere up here. And so yeah. being able to be so different yeah. compared to your neighbor is awesome. Yeah, I think that, you know, if you come up this hill and spend a day at Durant, Domaine Druin, White Rose, you know, Domaine Serene, you're getting, it's so many different approaches to Pinot Noir, you know, mm -hmm. and there's a there's a thread through all of those because it's Dundee Hills fruit, but yeah, they're going to show incredibly differently, you know, and so that's what makes it so fun, I think, for people to come up this way. Oh, absolutely. I love the winemaker down at Durant. Uh, you know, I got to work with Spencer. So Spencer mm -hmm. and uh, Vincent actually uh, helped me press this Chardonnay because we don't have a Chardonnay press, obviously. Oh, there we go. Uh, so that was a, you had to reach out to the neighbors to say like, is there any chance we can use your press on an <laughs> yeah. afternoon? Not you know? asking for so, cups we? of sugar, yeah. but can yeah. we uh, yeah, exactly. borrow your yeah. wine press? <laughs> yeah, they sure are nice down there. I really, yeah. I really enjoy them. Yeah. And hilarious too, which oh my gosh. is always good. Yeah. Well, should we move on to uh, another wine here? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. I think um, still hearing the 2018 story. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. The... Boy, we've jumped off of that. Or I jumped off of that. <laughs> quickly, you know? No, it's all right. We love yeah. to I mean, we love. Yeah, we're yeah, always into we it. We jump off to different bridges <laughs> often, so... Well, it's important to introduce Jesus because he was such a special part of this place. Yeah. Yes. Um, and he did become, find out he was sick with cancer during the 2018 vintage. Uh, so it was a pretty terrifying time here. 
he was essentially sort of guiding the show from his hospital bed. So he was writing up his, you know, approach and work orders and that kind of thing from the hospital. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, and in a very Oregon way, a lot of the Oregon wine industry stepped up to sort of help out, you know, which is just so classic Oregon, right? So there were winemakers, there were assistant winemakers, other cellar people coming here after long harvest days and helping out and helping White Rose get its wine safely fermented and into barrel. Um, and, uh, you know, Jesus passed away. It was early November in 2018. So I was kind of right in the middle, you know, still in, in the thick of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but folks from the winemaker studio, you know, Anthony King, uh, Hans Van Dale with Andrew Rich, uh, Peyton West with uh, Lavinia, a number of people put in time to make sure that these wines were safely in barrel. So I came in February after that. So everything was already sort of put to bed. And, and I essentially had a nice long spring and summer to get to know the wines and then blend from there, which was sort of nice. So it was great. There was great, great material in barrel. And so it was a nice way to sort of step in. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and again, that's why it's such a nice transition. And, Mm -hmm. you know, again, I think it's, you know, every time we crack these, we do talk about Jesus. And I think that's a special thing. Again, that's that legacy part of wine, right? Is that you can remember somebody for a really long time. Uh, and yeah, that's I, I think it's great. I mean, the 18s just turned out so beautifully, and so it's, I've been really proud to share these wines quite a bit. So. And how nice to be able to open an 18 and think of everybody yeah. that everybody just came together to yeah. make this even possible. Yeah. <laughs> and I love, I do love that people have to come here to enjoy this wine. And why would you not want to come here? Can we talk about the tasting room? Yeah. Because Actually, the tasting room, is it true that it used to be a hobbit house? <laughs> yes, that part's true. That wasn't my question. Yep. Yeah. That's super it's inhabited obvious. by hobbits That's for a number of centuries. That's the cutest. Yeah. Tressor yeah. is the tallest person that's yes. ever had to maneuver. Well, that people can check it out. Kills I banged my head so many times. Oh. You would have a hard time here. Yeah, the uh, yes, I, always, even, yeah. I have to be careful. Yeah. yeah, the few times that I've been here, I do have to watch where I step and <laughs> how tall I'm standing. What I heard was that, it was, that the owner... Mm-hmm. Loves wine from wine tasting in Europe. Yep. In caves. Yep. And, and so the idea behind the small windowless. Yeah, there's a couple windowless? things there. Yeah, yeah. he was inspired by that experience. I think also enjoyed the sort of coziness of like an alpine chalet. And so it is that idea that people should feel comfortable when they're tasting wine. So it's a very cozy place, mm-hmm. right? And it that's, is that's cozy. again to in a way disarm people and have them just feel comfortable and focus on the wine. And so the windowless thing is, is about focus because yeah, it's that's a very distracting okay. view out the, out the it front. It is right? very distracting yeah. how beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I mean you stunning. can see have, multiple mountains. Yeah, we have one of the best views in the Willamette Valley. Yes. And so you Perched can walk outside and, and get a, a peek at that if you want to enjoy your wine outside. But for the most part, we try to sort of focus inside, you know. Okay, and, interesting. And so. I'm okay, not so, lying when I tell people this. I don't so know, it's no true. windows yeah, for yeah. the focus. Yeah. yeah. And then the coziness is really, is it that feeling comfortable? Because there are a lot of people, like you said, that come up and are trying wine for the very first time. They're coming here because they just know that this is the cradle of Oregon wine country. Yes. Uh, and then they step in and they're like, oh, these are really expensive bottles. And oh, it's scary. You know, I don't and know what I'm supposed to say, but they feel, yeah. Hug. You know, it gives them a hobbit hug. hug. It's warm. It's welcoming. (laughs) You know, we have that espresso machine upstairs. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody's pulling an espresso shot, there's kind of, you know, that little waft of coffee in the background. You almost feel like there's a fire crackling away Mm -hmm. in the corner and it's very just warm and cozy. So that helps disarm people, I think, and feel comfortable. It's a pretty special experience. You know, it's different than a lot of other places, right? And people remember this 
because of maybe it's the coziness, maybe it's the windowless, but whatever it is, people remember this tasting room. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a from, very unique place. No matter yeah. how long ago they were here, yeah. they know this place. Yeah. Absolutely. Which has got to be a great thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. White Rose, we'll have Chardonnay. Yeah. When's that release? Uh, hopefully end of next summer. So, oh, you know, I, fabulous. You know, I, I am <laughs> trying to be... you were going to Oh, we do have the explicit That's hilarious. Uh, signal on our, just because I will oftentimes That's just awesome. say things. So it is, <laughs> it is just a safety feature, I think, for me. But as, as much as I do, I'm trying to be optimistic, let's say, yes. in 2020, you know, the scary thing is that you just don't know with what happened this year. And so, you know, I do hope that we release that at the end of next summer. Uh, 2015, I got my first chance to work with smoke-affected grapes. It was Syrah from Southern Oregon, yeah, and yeah. Um, and we knew that it had seen smoke. We weren't sure. Uh, it was definitely way less than what we saw here this year. And this uh, was nothing this that was, this anyone has seen yeah, in this area yeah, for a was, while. Yeah, it was a nightmare. And uh, and knowing that, you know, we kind of changed a little bit of our approach to making the wine. But the ferment was beautiful. It smelled great, and you know it. We pressed it, it smelled great, put it to barrel, and for eight months it was great. And then just one day, it was just like a switch, just smoke, you know, because it's just slowly building in concentration yeah. over time. And then one day it gets above the threshold level, and then, you know, that wine ultimately didn't even make it to bottle. I mean, it went down the drain just because it was just, it was sad. such an acrid smokiness. And so I'm so excited about the Chardonnay with this, this hint of terror that, like, there could be this... <laughs> Lurking Ooh. under the surface, you know, and is that's, that's the name of the Chardonnay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of terror. And this you know, is this, a scary episode. I think there's My a favorite. lot of us that have 2020 in barrel that are a little terrified, oh, right? You know, because yeah, it, it yeah. was so smoky. There were people that dumped their fermenters because they were they showed smoke that wow. early. So it's a little yeah, terrifying. No, that's not gonna yeah. make it. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, again, optimism, we'll switch back to optimism, trying oh, to embrace definitely. hibernation, getting excited about cooking projects. I just bought my first lamb, so I have a whole lamb in the freezer now, oh. so that'll be like a nice, long, you know, long stretch of winter projects. Bought a fair bit of wine to get ready for winter. Uh, so you really so are hunkering down. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think so. I mean, you have to right. do that. See you again, around, never, right? Tress. Yeah. All right. Yeah, but then it's, it's because we have the most beautiful summers anywhere, right? So you know that come yeah. July 1st, it's go time, right? July you 1st. Here, you know? yeah. Hopefully. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes, <laughs> hopefully. First, I know. It's a long ways off. Uh, but, um, but, yeah, I mean, that it's optimism like... optimism faded. Uh, yeah. <laughs> July 1st. Oh, boy. Hopefully. <laughs> he, tried. he tried. He tried. It's okay. He says with a sigh. <laughs> Really quickly, would you touch on the AVAs that you work with again? Oh, yeah. Just in case. Yeah. So um, we do tend to focus on Dundee Hills. We have done a lot of work just on this hill because it is such a special hill. So you know, we have the White Rose Vineyard, the 40-year-old side of the winery on the south, the Guillain Vineyard, which is 20 years old on the on the north side. That's the parcel we bought from Vista Hills, or now it's... Um, uh, Domaine de Broglie, so the Francis yes, Ford Coppola right. property. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> we did source from them for quite a bit. Like, hey, let's just buy, you know, from the vineyard right next to our own and, and sort of show that difference there. Durant we've worked with in the past, and so we've sourced from this hill quite a bit. Other Dundee Hill sites like Murto Vineyard, which is a fantastic vineyard. Um, uh, Marsh as well, so a little bit of the Warden Hill side of things. Um, we did work with some Chehala Mountains vineyards, so Luciol, which we uh, which we're drinking right now, um, 
worked with La Belle Promenade, which Flanor owns, which is a fantastic oh, property, yeah. oh. nice high elevation spot. You guys are getting so, some good spots. Yeah, so we made some in 2018, we worked with them. So yeah, we've been pretty lucky, right? You know, and yeah. then out into Yamhill Carlton, um, that was new for us. 2016 was the first year we tried Yamhill Carlton. So we got out to Luminous Hills in 2017. We brought in Briscoe, which is uh, belongs to Lemelson, and that's a, a vineyard I knew for many years. So we have sort of hit those three AVAs, mm -hmm. but that's been about it. So um, the Chardonnay I brought in this year is Yamhill Carlton as well, a nice high elevation Yamhill Carlton. So we've always tried to stick to older vines at higher elevations, and again, that served us well with the hot summers we've had because yeah. it's sort of you know slower ripening, lower alcohol levels, still searching for that kind of elegance, you know. You but, guys uh, have a type for sure. We have a type, absolutely. You have a type. You know? <laughs> Turn up. <laughs> Well, let's try some of the Guillen Vineyard here. So now we're actually on the site. Um, this is the 20-year-old side of the White Rose Vineyard. It was originally planted by Vista Hills. It was Dijon Clone 115. The 40-year-old side here of White Rose Vineyard, it's all Pomard, self-rooted Pomard. Yeah. Um, in 2008, I think it was, we took about a third of the 115 in this vineyard and top grafted it, just cut off the vines and um, grafted on pomard cuttings from our original vines. So now it's this kind of nice blend of Dijon 115 and pomard. So mm. we get to see sort of what our uh, pomard looks like on its original own rooted side and then grafted onto the rootstock on the oh, 20 year old um, side. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure how many people actually know that a lot of grafting goes on in this area. Can you talk a little bit more yeah, about absolutely. that? I mean, we normally as a consumer, we get to see the wine and we taste the wine, but we don't actually understand maybe what's mm -hmm. happening outside. Yeah. Well, you know, in the seventies when, when the white rose vineyard was planted and, and before that, you know, as a new wine region, it's a lot cheaper to own root, you know, to plant own rooted vines. And so you're essentially, you can take a cutting just one, one shoot off of a pinot vine can probably make 10 vines. You just cut it at each bud. You can practically stick them in the ground and make a vine. So it's it's pinot noir from top to bottom, from the top of the vine to the roots. Uh, but those roots are susceptible to phylloxera, so the root louse that can eventually sort of choke the plant and kill it off. But when you're establishing a new wine region, there's no phylloxera because it's endemic to uh, to grapes and so you can take that chance and as it turns out European grape uh, varieties are susceptible to this uh, this root louse so as time goes on though and as the wine region develops and equipment comes in from different places it's it's sort of just a matter of when you know the phylloxera shows up and we actually do have some phylloxera damage in uh, corner of our vineyard so we took out our first acre of those 40 year old vines oh, uh, this year which is super sad oh, but it happens right because those vines are susceptible. Does that work? Does the amputation work? So you have to take it all out. You have to start over essentially. So we took, we pulled the so vines out of the tractor. Pull out everything. So eventually, yeah, assuming that there are parts wow. of the vineyard that are pretty hale and hardy. So we hope, you know, it's kind of a fingers crossed. But that's something that all these old unrooted vine vineyards are going to have to face on the sill eventually. Um, so you you just you pull it back. You let the ground sit fallow for about a year, and then you have to come in with grafted vines. And so grafted vines are the European scion on top of an American rootstock and the American rootstocks because the American grapes evolved here in North America with phylloxera so they are resistant to it and so they don't get affected like the European grape varieties do. Science. But you know the American grapes are things like Concord grapes or you know these Welch's grape and they make 
atrocious wines, you know, so they're just conferring <laughs> that sort of defense against the phylloxera. So you have that, you're, you have your Pinot Noir on top of essentially a, a type of American grape uh, root, mm. and that sort of allows you to then, you know, sort of, it'll extend the life of these vineyards, but of course it's a much more expensive way to plant a vineyard, so sure. you yeah. know, they, they didn't have to think about that 50 years ago, and we have to now, so. A delicious Frankenstein. Yeah, exactly, and, you, and the cool thing is because you can do that, you know, you can at any time top graft your your vine and put in a new even a new variety so you're seeing a lot of people pinot gris sort of falling out of fashion so mm -hmm. rather than uproot the whole vineyard the trellis everything and replant sometimes people just chop it off at the head and you know put in a new grape start variety just else. yeah graft it on oh. top and start from there and so that's, that's one pretty way. cool yeah. that's fascinating. so it does give you flexibility as a farmer you know to try something like that so you'll see that you're going to see a lot more stuff or they might say oh this is grafted on the vines it used to be pinot gris or something like that so. yeah not as terrifying i guess as a farmer yeah, you can I mean, relax it's all, maybe a little bit. Yeah, yeah. There's always. Something. I mean, I feel like there's probably always something that you can be stressed out about. Yeah. I mean, how could you not? The what you're growing. Yeah. Is oh yeah. Semi, you are controlling, and so much that you can't control. Could be weather. Could be birds. It could be fires. Could be diseases. I mean, there are vine diseases. You're seeing a lot of um, something called. You guys will get a through all these podcasts you're going to get a chance to hear people sort of describe about other things that are happening in their vineyards and red blotch is a is a virus that's you know essentially affecting these vines and, and killing vines and, and spreading at a pretty quick rate so sometimes it feels like the you know the skies are falling as we start to talk about things like red right. blotch but um there's always some sort of like existential threat it seems like with farming you know <laughs> but we still get to you know we pull it out we make wine well, great red wine blotch is what you get when you drink wine sometimes right yes. i get the red blotch yeah. <laughs> yeah it was first transmitted from humans to grapevines yeah. are you god <laughs> yeah uh, this is delicious isn't that great that yeah. is nice. that's why yeah. we're ending with this wine for this uh, podcast because this is a pretty cool uh, wine that we have. I mean, again, it's from our property. It's 900 feet elevation, so you're already getting towards this kind of the ceiling for where Pinot is even grown in the Willamette Valley. Um, it's a Gian vineyard, so it's just a nice way to remember Jesus and his family and everything they've done here. And it's just a beautiful wine. So, it's awesome. You know, about wine. We spend an awful lot of time talking about weather. You know, think about it all the time. <laughs> you know, when you're in the tasting room and you're like, you know, you start, you're like, okay, I'm pouring a 2013. I'm immediately talking about rain, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think maybe as a newbie, you're like, man, they really talk about the weather a lot, you know? But then when you have like a vertical, you realize yeah. that's because that's a huge part of the They're story. Huge. It's yeah, such a yeah. part of the story. And so I think it's kind of fascinating. We, it's a good thing to like show people, okay, I'm probably going to talk about you know, what happened in the weeks leading up to harvest, what it was like in the summer, you know, if it's 2015, I'm going to talk about July 1st because that's my birthday. And in 2015, it was 103 degrees in McMinnville, that's you why know, so, yeah, that's why I like it. We're cancers. You know? <laughs> so, I'm a cancer. Well, are we all, you're not July, though. Are we all Sorry. free cancer Oregonians here? Mm, well, I mean, we are. Yeah. Ooh, you're not letting him. <laughs> You called him a coastie to start this. <laughs> <laughs> he said he moved from Seattle. Yeah. It's true. We'll call it Pacific Northwest yeah. Cancers. Yeah. <laughs> we love the water. That's why we're here. Yeah. Anyway, yes, yeah. the weather was, okay. it's funny because um, I couldn't tell you what the weather was in 2004, 2005. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. But I started 
in yeah. 2006 with your wine. Having to talk about, it was 2010, but we were pouring sixes and sevens and eights. Yeah. So from six on, yeah, I can tell you what our summer was like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it is funny. It's a cool party trick to know. <laughs> it's weird. You actually, sound like Rain Man, yeah. perhaps, yep. at a party when you are telling people, <laughs> I can tell you the weather in this year. Yeah. I don't do that uh, at parties. Well, you should. <laughs> yeah, totally. Ask me what the weather was like in 2012. I don't remember what parties are like. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you have to be careful sometimes, I think, as a winemaker, because you can get into that two-year story every time you open a bottle of wine, because it comes back so quickly. It does feel a little Rain Man-like, but like if I open... with their kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, and you're like, boring. Like, I'm sure this really is really exciting to you. Know. but like, uh, when he was, oh, great. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Tell me more about your kids. Yeah. Tell me more. Yeah. Let me have some wine, though. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I'm going to think about kids that. Like, yeah. if I open yeah. an 18, I'm going to think about the harvest crew that worked with me. I'm going to think mm -hmm. about the summer, you know. I'm going to think about the weather right before it came in, the, or the day it came in the door. You know, it's like right. people always ask us in August, they're like, so what's this vintage like? And you know, I would say like, we'll let you know when the fruit comes in the right. in the door. And this of all years was that vintage because right up until the first week of September, yeah. this was looking awesome. And yeah. then you know, the fires changed everything. So, and now we're going to always talk about the fires when we talk about 2020. So it's all about weather. Is that you among know? everything else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go. I think with all the rosé and white pinot, it, it, we should be very open and say like, hey, it tastes really good right now. And it does, you know, and I'm yeah. assuming it's still that way when we bottle these things early in spring. Drink now. Like, Drink you know, it. smoke taint is something that builds over time and one day it's going to pop. So you have a very limited window. <laughs> this is not to put in your cellar. This is just to party with now, you know, and enjoy. So I think that if we're pretty open with people, they'll get it. You know, yeah, yeah I think that kind of authenticity there is. Like, and everybody knows, right? I mean, it was, it was awful. I mean, it was... So I guess so I veered late. I veered away from optimism on that one there about twenty twenty. Uh, it's real. But, you know, it's real. <laughs> yeah, and it should be. And I think that that's the other thing is that we're we're working, we're pretty open, right? You know, yes. so we share. We're open about what's going on and for better or for worse. Yeah. Twenty thirteen. That was a tough one. We talked. There were a lot of horror stories during that. You know, harvest. I think about those all the time. But we made some beautiful wines, so we can overcome some of these crazy challenges. I mean, there were great twenty thirteen Pinot Noirs. So. That was the lesson that, like, this is a divine place to make wine because the 2013 harvest was so difficult and the fruit was in such bad shape after yeah. those rains, you know? Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, thanks for hanging out with us. Of course. And doing yeah. this. Anytime. And, you know, you guys have a long journey ahead of you with all this, so we can always reconvene at another point. And I'll be oh, curious right. to see what you guys have learned and hey, we didn't how your thoughts about, how, about wine have changed or what you guys have learned. We'll <laughs> see. We figure we've only got, like, 660 wines wineries to get through yeah mm -hmm. right yeah give it time yeah we've done three <laughs> yeah and this is just the third one so <laughs> that's amazing yeah you're well on your way <laughs> hey one step for us one step for mankind there's a, we, we there's a lot of people that love to talk about this stuff and that's what i think will be so cool for you guys to meet those folks people so. are passionate yeah and that's why we're doing this we want to yeah. talk about wine we want to talk about people that love wine yeah so it's cool Nice. It is cool. And places. Yeah. You did yeah. it all. Thank you guys. I really appreciate the episode. I know. Yeah. I had this that has on been my, a good this is a good episode. It's everything I had coaster. on my list. It yeah. is a roller coaster. <laughs> we started out in a murder cave and ended with yeah. beautiful wine. Yeah. Yeah. I think That's we pretty good. We turned things around. We really did. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. 
Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks to Tressida Burns and White Rose Estate for a wonderful experience. Three hours flew by. We must have really been by then, huh, Tress? Check out this episode's pictures on Instagram at Crushing It Podcast. And be sure to keep up with White Rose by following them on Instagram at White Rose Estate. Also check out the website, whiteroseestate.com. In December 2020, for $25, you get to taste three beautiful wines and finish with a freshly pulled espresso shot. Give them a call to check on the current options for visiting the tasting room or to speak with somebody about ordering that perfect wine. 503-864-2328. Please continue to send your tasting room stories, magical or terrifying, to our email, crushingitwv at gmail.com. You can also send recommendations, invitations, corrections, all the things to that same address. Thanks so much for listening.